0: That's the sound of the business buzz. Welcome, I'm your host, Harold Littlejohn CPA. I've got a real exciting show for you today, lots of good information. And I want to start out with one story that I just read about, and I'm a little bit disappointed in this one. I wasn't aware of this because I just haven't been there lately, but one of the old standby businesses of Chico that was here when I was back in college, which is, to date myself, the late 70s. Was the Baskin Robbins ice cream shop on Mangrove? And I just read today that it has closed, and I didn't really know that, but that's kind of disappointing. Uh, I was in that little mall a couple weeks ago, and I believe it was still open. I always look at it when I go by. I personally don't eat a lot of ice cream just because I, I really can't, even though I really like it. But I was sad to hear that because there's only so many businesses that are in Chico now that were here when I was a student. And I've been here since the late 70s, other than a little time off when I worked in the Bay Area in between getting my degree from Chico State and then coming back up to live here permanently. So I've basically been here 40 years minus a few years away. And I can think of a few businesses that come to mind that are still here. There would be Schubert's down on 7th. That's an ice cream and candy store. That one was around then. Of course, Collier Hardware is still around. I think it's real fortunate that there are certain families that are able to keep those businesses going. It would be very difficult for anybody to try to make a living as an independent hardware store in downtown Chico unless I believe that company owns their building and they probably have for a long time. So that makes that work out. I'm trying to think of the other businesses that are still around from when I was a student. I know a lot of the restaurants I used to go to have come and gone. Downtown has had a lot of different coffee shops. The ones that come to mind is Oy Cafe was real good. That was on the corner of 2nd and Main. Across from there, a block down used to be a place, I think it was called 2nd and Broadway. But there was a lot of restaurants that have come and gone downtown. And I can't think of that many businesses downtown that have been here that long. Tower Records and Tower Books was a staple when I was here in the younger days, and they've been gone now for a while. So it's just kind of sad when you see a a longtime Chico business that's no longer here. And that was what I thought about when I saw that Baskin-Robbins has left. So that was just a little disappointing. But hopefully something will take its place that will be good. That whole center, it's a nice place to go. It's got the Safeway. It's got the shoe store. It's got a dry cleaning, and, you know, there's not that many dry cleaning places around these days. The problem with that center is it just seems to get a lot of foot traffic from people who are kind of trying to spend time sitting around and uh, panhandle some money. And I don't know what the politically correct way to describe these people are, but I, I feel sorry for them. I assume they're unemployed. They may be homeless. And I just don't really know... But that does have an effect on some of these businesses that are close to the park and close to that route. I've said before, I've been on the same location of my office on Mangrove for 27 years now, and it does seem to be a route that people without any place to go seem to walk up and down the street all day. So, And that's definitely gotten a lot busier in the last few years than I've ever seen before in all those years there. So that's just another... I guess it's a sign of the times. I remember those old photos of the Depression when you had soup lines with all the unemployed men looking for a bowl of soup, sort of like the way Jesus Center serves meals. I'm not sure how much worse it was back then, but I do remember that they say the unemployment back then was 25%. Everything I'm reading from places like Shadow Stats that runs actual more accurate numbers for the labor force it sounds like it's at least 20 something percent right now. So we're probably in that same boat. That brings up another interesting thing that I just heard about today. The stock market normally does what they call corrections. So normally every year or two, even in an up bull market like we have now, you'll normally have corrections, which are down maybe five to 10% from the high, then it'll start back up again. And they consider traders and people who do this on a daily basis they consider that healthy the market needs to rest it needs to get some selling and then it needs to head back up and that's that's a normal market what's happening right now is this market does not look normal it's been a long time of going up without a real correction and the statistic i heard i'm sorry i didn't write this down i heard it today and it's something like the length of time lately that this market has not taking a ten, taken a ten percent correction, which is healthy for even a bull market, is has never gone this long since the 1929 crash. So even in the 1987 crash, even in the dot-com crash, even in the 07 crash, and those are the three recent ones that I always think about. Even those leading up to those crashes had corrections during the run-up. This stock market has no corrections to speak of at all. If you look at a, like a weekly chart of the Dow Industrials, you'll see that there's hardly any downtimes. There's a few little blips. In my opinion, it's probably because this is not the same market that we had 30, 40, 50, 80, or 90 years ago. This market, number one, 90% of all the shares traded are traded by computer algorithms. They're not traded from you and me calling our broker and saying, oh, buy me 100 shares of IBM. The days of little people running the stock market is gone. Now, I'm sure the, the big boys have always been big players in the stock market, don't get me wrong. But right now, the trading is actually done with computer programs. I'm sure they have artificial intelligence going as much as they can to try to figure out how to pick up every little nuance of these trades. The other problem this market has is that a lot of the buyers are people that should not even be buying stock. And if you've been listening to me at all lately, you'll know that I'm talking about central banks. These are people who are allowed to print money and they are allowed to buy stocks. And to me, that's just plain wrong. So here we have something like Amazon. Well, Amazon is actually kind of a productive company because they actually move real goods. But we have things like Facebook. And if you look back at the website called MySpace, about 15 years ago when my son was young, all the young people were on a place called MySpace. And it was sort of like I don't know, I, I don't know the difference between these, but it was sort of like a Facebook social network, posting uh, postings of what you, diaries, pictures, talking to your friends. And MySpace just completely lost the people and it just disappeared. And it's basically a non-entity. If it's still around, it's like nobody uses it. In my opinion, something like Facebook could eventually go that way too because there's no real product It's just a website, and tastes come and go, fashion comes and goes, and if it becomes uncool to be on Facebook, and I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago I read an article that said for the first time ever the number of teenage subscribers to Facebook declined recently. So that's a sign that if it starts becoming less cool to be on Facebook, there would be a mass exodus of the number of people using it. So why should our central bank invest in Facebook? Where is the logic of that? Where's the fairness of that? Well, for one thing, don't forget, our central bank is not a government entity. And that's one of the big mistakes most people make. They hear the name Federal Reserve, so they assume it's a federal government body, when in reality, it's a group of private banks who were given the right to run our money system 104 years ago in 1913. Coincidentally, the same year that the income tax went into effect and also coincidentally the same year after the Titanic sunk. And if you'd like a little... If you wonder why I'm connecting the Titanic with the Federal Reserve, I'll tell you what I've read. The famous rich people who actually didn't survive the Titanic, like Astor was one of the names. I can't think of the other names off the top of my head. But they were very wealthy, super big guys in the world of finance and the whole bit. It would be like these days having Bill Gates and Warren Buffett go down on a boating accident. That's, That's how big these guys were. And from what I've read, part of the reason they were on the Titanic, and there was also a Famous group of a few famous people who actually canceled their voyage right at the end. So the guys like Astor thought that these other guys were also going to be on there. Turned out they weren't. And what I've read is that Astor, in particular, and a couple of these other big shots that went down, were actually opposing the whole income tax and Federal Reserve acts that were getting ready to be written. And This was basically, it was a way to get rid of them. Now, of course, nobody can prove this. You won't read that in the New York Times, but I've read about that, and I do suspect that's probably true. So one of the things you have to remember is the Federal Reserve is not federal, and it's not a reserve. And when the president appoints a chairman of the Fed to come talk to Congress, that's just a formality to make it look like it's a government entity but they still do whatever they want when they read the when the minutes come out on a monthly basis they call it the open market committee minutes and the entire world just oh they just wait in awe what are these geniuses thinking of what did they do they get to hear and we get to hear what they talked about a month prior and then they release minutes from a meeting a month ago so there's nothing transparent about this thing it's all in secret and I don't think it's right that the central bank of a country should be buying stocks. I mean, what if they decide to buy Facebook instead of Amazon this week? Is that fair? Um, You know, it just, it it doesn't make sense. So my main point of all this is that it's been, since 1929, there has never been a run-up without a good, healthy correction like the one we're in now. All I mean by all this is that you need to be careful and make sure you're what they call hedging. In other words, do you have something in your portfolio with your retirement money or your savings that offsets this problem if the market were to crash? I know today the market was down triple digits in the Dow. That doesn't mean much. When the Dow is at 23,000, 230 points is only 1% a 10% correction would have to be 2,300 points. So these days, when you hear that there's a 100-point Dow day either up or down, it's not that big of a deal. Now, when the Dow was at 3,000, a 100-point day would represent 3% of your money. That's big. But 100 points now represents less than one-half of a percent. So it's just not that big of a deal. So unless these lost days gets strung together, it's just not a big deal right now. This is a bull market. It's been going almost straight up. And there's no real logical explanation for it except the Federal Reserve prints a lot of money. A lot of companies are buying back their own stock because they can borrow money so cheaply. And it's just a crazy environment. This whole last 10 years of near-zero interest is completely not normal. If you look at a historical chart of interest rates, they probably averaged four, five, six percent over the last like 3,000 years. Interest has never been zero like this. And it's been this way for now about eight or nine years since they started all these crazy programs trying to salvage the economy since the crash of 08. And all they've really done is make like band-aid patches over things. It's not really fixed anything. Like I was saying uh, on the last show, our trade deficit is now hitting back to record levels from 10 years ago, where $60 billion a month, $2 billion a day is going out higher than what we export. So in other words, our money is buying imports from other countries over what we're sending to other countries as exported products by 60 billion dollars a month it's just not a that's not a healthy sign and we've been running that kind of deficit for like 45 years so i'll be back after the break with some more exciting news about well one of the topics we're going to talk about is cryptocurrencies so stay tuned
1: Rock House Dining and Espresso is known for their patio. Enjoy the ducks and chickens visiting the patio in their environmental, farm-fresh, lively atmosphere. Rock House is an iconic landmark in Butte County since the 1930s, seven minutes north of the Lime Saddle Bridge, only two miles past the hardware store. Originally built in 1937, the two buildings served as restaurant and tavern, shower house, barber shop, gas station, and cafe. Working as both functioning dining and a fun look back at our rich Butte County history. Don't forget the awesome iced coffee. And the fruit smoothies are only $4.25 or order a large for just 70 cents more. Daily soups and occasional journey soups, always an adventure, never the same. Yummy creative vegetarian offerings as well as fantastic Reuben and French dip sandwiches. Yum! Or try their tasty wraps or the awesome fresh coleslaw at Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill.
2: Hey, this is Rich with DJ Carports and Garages. We've been serving the Butte County area since 2000 with carports, sheds, and other type of metal buildings. We have warranties of 25 years on the galvanized steel frame and 40 years on the powder-coated sheeting. Give me a holler if you'd like me to look at the spot that you're considering and I will share with you the options that are available. My number is 530-877-1222. That's 877-1222. Thanks, and you have a great day.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I promised you a little bit of discussion about one of the latest crazes in the financial world. I personally just got involved with it recently I on a small scale, so I'll tell you how it is a lot easier than I thought it would be. I wasn't sure how it was done, and I've been sort of waiting around and watching, and I may be a little late to the party, but maybe not, and it's called the world of cryptocurrencies. So anytime you hear about the thing called Bitcoin, it's a it's sort of an alternative currency. It's like an investment. It really doesn't represent anything physical, but I don't understand. I gotta, I'll got i admit up front, I don't understand the technicalities of the computer stuff that makes this all work. It's something called a blockchain technology. It's supposed to be safe, but there's been some things that have happened in the past that show that it wasn't that safe. But for a small amount of your money, it might be something worth trying because here's here's what's going on. The what they call the market cap of cryptocurrencies would be the total amount of money in these cryptocurrencies times the number of units that are out there. So times the price. So, for instance, if there's a, a million bitcoins and they're worth five hundred apiece, then the market cap of bitcoin would be 500 million well that number for all the cryptocurrencies i believe is sitting probably around i haven't listened lately but it's probably around 180 billion dollars that's just a that's a guess at one point it was up to about 160 and when bitcoin tumbled and lost about 50% of its value it went down to like 80 billion but now it's back up and i believe it's probably pushing up towards $200 billion because Bitcoin actually went to $7,900, I believe, yesterday. Now, that's a gain of something like 600% since the start of the year. And I would have to double check all those numbers. But basically what you're looking at is if you had bought $100 worth of Bitcoin a year ago, you'd probably have like $600 now. So there's definitely potential to make money with this thing. I'm not certain it's something you would want to hold on to for the next 20 years because these things are still, they're internet-based. And if the internet were to go down, of course, you wouldn't really have any Bitcoin. But what's happening is this cryptocurrency world is starting to be used in other places. So you're having places like, uh, I know there's some places where you can buy gold and silver, and you can actually pay for it with your Bitcoin. So they're actually taking this as another currency. It's sort of like if anybody's familiar with a thing called PayPal, you if you sell things on eBay, you have to have a PayPal account where the money goes into. And then if you buy things on eBay, you have to pay using PayPal. And that sort of works like a currency as long as people accept PayPal as a form of payment. So that's what's sort of happening in this cryptocurrency world right now. Things are starting to become a little more mainstream. They're starting to be utilized in other places as a way to pay for things. And once that picks up and gains some momentum, I could easily see this market cap going way, way up. $180 sounds like a lot of money, but in the big picture of the real world and the size of things like the stock market. And, you know, the largest market in the world isn't the stock market, and it isn't the bond market. It's the foreign exchange market. The people who buy and sell uh, British pounds and euros and U.S. dollars and the currencies, that is the largest market in the entire world. I think it's, I don't know, something like $5 trillion a week or a day or some, some giant number that actually gets traded every day on the uh, foreign exchange market. They call it the FX market. So $180 billion is not a large amount. If some of these larger places like these giant funds and pension funds, uh, which I'm going to talk about in the next segment here today, if they were to decide that they wanted to invest in cryptocurrencies, they could put $180 billion in in one day. These are places that have, you know, trillions of dollars in assets, and they're looking for places to invest them. Now, the problem is a pension fund right now would have a rule that they can only invest in certain things. They probably have, and I don't know all these rules, but I'm assuming they would have a rule that says you can only invest in, like, listed stocks on a stock exchange. You can't invest in your neighbor's startup company because you like the guy or because, He's going to pump and dump the stock or whatever. So you'd probably have very big restrictions on pension funds. If the cryptocurrency world becomes something that is kind of mainstream, you could end up with a thing where pension funds are suddenly allowed to invest 1% of their assets in cryptocurrencies, something like that. Well, 1% of $4 trillion is $40 billion. So, you know, right there, you're looking at, um, you know, a way to immediately jump up the amount of money that could be in these cryptocurrencies. So what I'm saying is it might not be a bad idea to put a little bit of money into cryptocurrencies and see if you can't make a little profit that you could then take out and maybe buy something like an ounce of gold or, you know, 10 ounces of silver with. I'm not sure. But I will say that I finally did dive in It really wasn't as difficult as I thought. The only hassle with the whole thing is they make you confirm your identity with your email and with your phone number. So if you don't have a cell phone or an email, it's pretty unlikely you're ever gonna be able to buy one of these, at least from the place that I went to. The place I went to is a place called Coinbase. They only sell three of the cryptocurrencies. There are many, many of these cryptocurrencies. They come and they go. Some of them shoot way up, then they go way down. I don't have time to monitor 10 or 20 cryptocurrencies. The three that are sold on this Coinbase spot is Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. I chose to invest a small amount of money in Litecoin. One negative is if you use your credit card, they charge you 2.5% fee. So for every $100 you put in, you're only going to buy ninety-seven fifty if you use a credit card. There is an option to use your bank account, but I choose not to give a bank account number to a website like that, just on general principles. In case there was a problem with my credit card, I know I could call the credit card company and get the thing put on hold and reversed and all that. With a bank account, I just don't like having a bank account flying around these websites that I'm not that familiar with. So that's my take on where to go to buy just because I did it. It was very easy other than you have to confirm with an email, confirm with a text message, and then each time you log in on a new device, in other words, I was on my tablet when I did it, but then I was on my phone yesterday when I was looking at it again, and you have to register each device. So it's a little bit of a pain, but then again, that shows that they're securing it to where nobody else would be able to log in to your account, which is a good thing. For the bottom line of why I bought Litecoin instead of Bitcoin or Ethereum, I've been following these even though I haven't put my foot in the water yet until just a couple days ago here. I picked Litecoin because mainly I just like the looks of the chart. It's not at an all-time high. It's it's all-time high was in the 80 something dollar range per coin and when i got in it was like right around 60 so that's about 33 or 20 sorry 25% below the high which is kind of a good thing and i'm not sure this will make any money like i say i didn't put a lot in because i'm just kind of getting my toes wet in this whole cryptocurrency thing but so far i really like how easy it was to do they actually gave me like a bonus of $10 worth of Bitcoin just for signing up, which I thought was kind of cool. So that sort of offset that 2.5% thing. And I'll kind of keep you posted on this as I go, but I've seen some people make some serious money lately with these cryptos, so I don't want to miss out completely. So I'm jumping in a little bit. We'll be right back after the break. I'm Harold Littlejohn. This is Business Buzz.
3: our show. I'm Scott Allred. I'm Ben Taney. I'm Tricia Coder.
0: And I'm Matt Four.
2: This is Jessica Wilkerson, one of your hosts of Chico Now.
3: A half hour designed for the community and brought to you by the community. Each day, one of our hosts will join with people from organizations throughout the greater Chico area. We want to let you know what's happening in Chico Now. So join us at 1230 Monday through Friday here on KKXX for Chico Now.
0: The rest of my life so.
1: With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one-stop mortgage lender. Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well-versed in a wide variety of loan types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him 530-624-7942. That's 530-624-7942.
0: Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at 2.30 on Your Home Today. This is Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at 155 East 3rd Avenue, NMLS License 230273, BRE License 01250862, employed by Network Mortgage, BRE License 01840139, NMLS License
2: 358237, Equal Housing Opportunity.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm on my favorite topic again. I'm concerned about these pension problems around the nation because, well, one of the reasons I'm personally concerned about it, well, I never worked as a teacher and I didn't accumulate a pension as a police or fireman, but a lot of my clients have, and they make a lot of income with their pension money and it keeps me going too, so I'm. I'm directly involved with the whole pension world. Here's the trend that I'm seeing. We have all these different pensions that are required to reach, at some point, a percentage of having the money. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. If you look at the pension liability versus the assets in these pensions, it's way short. One thing I see here is a study of a lot of large pension funds throughout the country called the Public Pension Funding Study shows that in, for the 2015 year, which is the study done, done during 2016, the overall liabilities minus the plan assets, which would be the net deficit, was $1.19 trillion this year's study, which is 2017 study, that takes into account the 2016 numbers, it increases to $1.53 trillion. The estimated one for the next six months forward, actually the deficit goes down a little, which is actually a good thing. But here's the problem with that. During this bull market in the stock and the bond market, uh, people throwing darts at a newspaper could hit a winning stock these days, or a winning uh, a winning index like the Dow. So when these pension funds do have a good year, and during 2016 they did have a good year, and instead of only making four or five percent, they made like 12 or 13, that makes the deficit kind of go down. Well, what happens if the stock market crashes 40 percent? what happens if their return isn't 4% what if it's negative 10% then this deficit is going to go sky high now here's what i'm trying to piece together for you i got a couple articles here allow me to kind of explore this a little bit and we're going to get to the answer to how are they going to solve these pension problems so the first article is from november 3rd so it's pretty recent and It says Miami, which is Miami, Florida, owes $213 million to Police and Fire Pension Fund, consultant says. I'll go into a little detail here. I won't spend too much time on it, but it's here. It says a consultant hired by Miami's Firefighter and Police Pension Fund dropped the bombshell this week, estimating that Miami... See now there. Remember, when you say the city of Miami... What do they mean? So here's what it says here. Estimating that Miami taxpayers owe more than $200 million in back benefits to retirees following an invalidation of controversial recession-era austerity measures. So I guess the last 10 years has been called a recession. Hmm. Okay. So here we go. Now, when you think the city owes the fund $200 million, and then you read on that it says Miami taxpayers owe it. So the point I'm getting to is if a city like Miami, which is just, it's a big city, but it's one city, if they owe $200 million and they're just talking about the police and fire pension, that wouldn't count the city pension and the non-emergency pension of non-police and non-fire. What does that mean for all the other hundreds of big cities in the country? Well, I'm sure they're all in the same boat. Now, what, what I'm getting to is here they are saying that the Miami taxpayers owe $200 million. I keep saying that because it's, it just hurts when you think about that. And so the next article I've got is from November 4th, which is a day later. And here's, here's the answer to how would they possibly fix these pension shortfalls. There's a place they call a village in Illinois called Huntley, H-U-N-T-L-E-Y. And the title of this article is Huntley Considering Property Tax Levy Increase. So my point on this is, when a city like Miami can't pay the pension fund the $200 million that it owes, they start looking at increased taxes. And property tax is the easiest target. So it looks like what's going to end up happening is when all these cities have these shortfalls in their pension, they're going to come looking for additional property taxes. They might try to get things like additional sales taxes, things like that. But property tax is kind of the easy one. They can guesstimate it pretty well. Like this Huntley thing, it sounds like a pretty small town it would be an average of $250,000 house would pay $10 more. Well, you know, $10 doesn't seem like much, but once that door's open, maybe the next one will be $30, and then the next one will be $70. You just never know. So what I'm getting at is that when cities are broke and can't fund the pensions, which I'm sure is happening all over the country, They're going to start raising taxes, and all that does is make a spiral downward because there goes person's extra money. Remember the flap last week when the $0.12 state gas tax went up or was kicking in on November 1st? Well, that's $0.12 for every gallon you have to put in your car. So if you fill up once a week and you have a 20-gallon tank, that's $10 a month from one, from one of your cars that you now cannot spend on going out to dinner, going to see a movie, anything local economy-wise, you have $10 less now with that state tax. So the $10 property tax doesn't sound much for the residents of the village of Huntley, Illinois, but what's going to happen next year when the fund for the firefighters is $400 million in the hole? So there's just no way to deal with this other than sticking it to the taxpayer. And that can only go so far because if the taxpayer runs out of money, where are you going to get it from then? It's a kind of an endless circle. It's not going to end well. What I'm noticing is for me, I talk about disposable income. I have an increase every December 1st. My health care premiums, I talked about this last time, I won't harp on it, they're up another 20% this year. They've been climbing, 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 and that extra 200 a month or more that I have to pay is 200 less that I'm going to be able to spend somewhere else. So I'm not going to complain because, knock on wood, I haven't had a lot of medical problems. If I do, I do have insurance, but I know it's a high deductible plan. Also, another feature you guys might want to know is if you're eligible to get an HSA, you should have an HSA it will help you deduct your medical costs. Some of them, not all of them. Now, in my last little installment for the article I've got about the pension situation is, get this, remember I talked before about how stirs the state teacher's retirement in California, is one of the biggest pensions in the country, probably one of the biggest in the world. Well, they had a good year last year. Like I said, um. um a monkey with a typewriter could have probably typed out the name of a winning uh, ticker symbol on the Dow this year. And so I got to just read this to you. The title of the article, this is from Associated Press, November 3rd. California teacher pension executives get big bonuses. Okay, now, let's first, let's just think about that. This giant pension is probably negative hundreds of millions of dollars. In other words... The liability they're going to have to pay out over the next twenty years is probably at least, and I'm just going to throw this out because of that Miami article, I, it's probably a a billion dollars underfunded at least, maybe fifty billion. So, here's the article: West Sacramento, and I've seen this building because if you go to Old Sacramento and look across the river, you see this beautiful looking pyramid building that must have cost millions of dollars to build. And it says Calsters on the top. And I'm guessing it would have been built in like 05 and 06 before the stuff all went to pot. I'm here to say that I can't believe this article. West Sacramento, two top executives at California's teacher pension system are getting big bonuses worth more than $200,000 each following strong investment earnings. The California State Teachers Retirement System, which is Calsters. Approved the bonuses without discussion Friday for Chief Executive Officer Jack Ennis, E-H-N-E-S, and Chief Investment Officer Christopher Allman. The bonuses amount to 53.5% of the base salary for each executive. Ennis will get just under $225,000 on top of his base salary of $420,000. I'm sorry, it's Ailman, A-I-L. Ailman's bonus is $273,000 on top of his $510,000 base pay. Calsters is the nation's second-largest public pension fund with more than $215 billion in assets. Its investments earned 13.4% last fiscal year, beating a 7% target. Well, whoop de doo all you had to do was buy the Dow and you probably could have made 20% and they made 13. And I, you know, I'm not knocking these guys. I'm sure they work hard and they do a lot of investments for their 930,000 of base salary between the two of them. So I'm not saying they don't earn their pay, but if you have an unfunded liability in the future of hundreds of billions of dollars, how can you justify bonuses during a year where they make 13.4%. And, in fact, before I knock this any further, I'm going to try to look this up real quick. Uh, I'm going to try to look up the Dow year-to-date gain for 2017 just just for kicks. And I will get back to you with an answer right after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn. See you back in a minute.
3: Just go to mergedgospels.com. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org slash
1: caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I looked up that number I was trying to think of and I didn't know it off the top of my head, of course, but... So the gain just in the Dow Industrials in the past twelve months is twenty six percent. Year to date is like twenty one percent. So these guys who just got these gigantic bonuses for making thirteen uh, percent, you know, maybe they could do better with just some computers, you know, looking at the Dow, because I'm looking at this thing about the Dow here, and the year to date change in some of these stocks is pretty outrageous. Apple's up fifty one percent. Boeing is up 68%. Caterpillar is up 45%, which is hard to believe because they had losses for like 30 straight quarters uh, just up to a year or so ago. I, I haven't looked at their net earnings lately. So you have stocks just in the Dow that the Dow itself made 26% last 12 months, and these guys are getting five, or $500,000 worth of bonuses for making 13%. So anyway, I won't harp too much more. I will say one more, thing, one more thing about the stock market today. I know that it was a down day during the day, but what's amazing is about halfway through the day, somebody is buying what they call buying the dip. And if you look at a chart of today's Dow, it started at 23,563, which is close to a record. It dropped straight down in the morning. It dropped further down to the middle of the trading day. It looks like it was down to about 23,320. So I would say that was down 240 points at one point. And what do you know? Miraculously, as usual, around the middle of the day, somebody, and we won't name any names because I talked about that about a half hour ago, somebody came in and bought a bunch of Dow shares. And now it's back up to only losing 101 points. I'm sure they tried to get it to lose only 99, but something at the last minute made it 101. So, this market is fake. Uh, if you if you want to talk about fake news, I'm not going to get into that. But I will get into fake markets. Now, I also wanted to point out something about this cryptocurrency market that we talked about before. I've told you enough about pensions. So anybody who has questions about pensions. I'll visit it from now and then, but it's just a favorite topic of mine, but I don't want to belabor it. The cryptocurrencies, here's my theory as to why Bitcoin went from one penny back about 2011 to $7,900 each and probably going way higher. I don't know when. I'm not sure. I'm Like I say, this time I'm involved a little bit. I'm going to get on board and see if I can't make a little paper money to buy something real with, but... Here's my theory as to why are the cryptocurrencies so hot and why are they going up so fast? The answer is simple. People, smart people, are looking for an alternative to paper money. They see that since the Federal Reserve started controlling our money supply 104 years ago, their dollar has lost 97% of its value. Think about that. For what you buy for a dollar today, you could have bought for three cents in 1913. That is, that's inflation at work. Now, the Federal Reserve says it has a target inflation rate of 2%. What kind of thing is that? Who would target inflation? Who would want inflation? Well, the people who want inflation are the people who own the money. We don't own the money. They own the money, and they print the money, and they send the money out to where they feel like it should go. I won't go off on another tirade, but in 08, when things basically crashed and they've never gotten fixed and they've never recovered, they sent something like $12 trillion to foreign banks. Now, if anybody can justify the United States going into debt to send cash to foreign banks please let me know because I'd like an explanation. I mean, I know the explanation. It was to patch a broken system and it's not fixed yet. Printing money doesn't fix anything. People are looking for an alternative to paper money. Cryptocurrencies right now is a easy online way to move dollars into another currency and take a chance on it going up in value instead of going down in value, which is the Fed's stated mission. So the Fed's goal is anti-your goal. They want inflation, you don't. And what I'm saying is that the cryptocurrencies are the, re- the reason they're going up so fast and so far is because people are looking for an alternative, This is the substitute for what precious metals should be. Gold and silver should be that avenue for people to avoid the paper money problem and to have something that's going to be valuable no matter what happens in this printed money, debt-based economy we live in. And that's worldwide. So the cryptocurrencies have basically taken the pressure that should be going into the precious metals, and it's now going into these cryptocurrencies. This doesn't mean precious metals are not a good investment. I still say that everybody should have part of their portfolio in physical gold or physical silver just so they have that protection in case inflation runs away. I've said this before. If you look at a chart of the German mark in the early 1920s, When a currency goes to zero, the other side of the equation goes to infinity. And an ounce of silver in like 1923 Germany was worth like a trillion marks. Because marks went to zero, so everything else went to the sky. A loaf of bread went to the sky, everything did. I'm not a doom and gloomer, but when you've lost 97% of your dollar's purchasing power, now it works out okay if you if you took out a mortgage 40 years ago and bought a house for $80,000 and now that house is worth $400,000 and you only had to pay back the 80 that works out fine. So in some cases inflation works out well and it's okay. But if you look at your house value and say, "Oh, my house is worth 400,000, but Back when you bought it, everything else cost five times less, and a gallon of gas was what seven, you know, a dollar or seventy cents or whatever. So, it's all relative. And these large prices, it it sort of destabilizes people. It sort of unequalizes things. The thing I always think about with inflation is, what if you're a guy who is out of work, no money, uh, no house, and you need a meal? Well, if a meal at some place like McDonald's is a five-dollar meal deal, but five years ago it was one dollar or a1.50 to buy the same amount of food, but you're struggling to get, you know, to find quarters or to, to ask people for quarters, I mean, look at that inflation. That's astronomical hyperinflation. The other thing is, in the old days, if you were a saver and you saved 100,000 dollars in retirement, you could put that money in the bank and earn 10% interest on a savings account. So that's $10,000 of income that you could use towards your rent and your groceries and your gas money, and that would be an available amount of money. Well, these days, anybody with $100,000 in the bank, unless they put it in the stock market, which lately has worked out pretty well, but it could be very risky when it crashes they have to actually dip into their savings just to make ends meet because the interest is like 0.01%. They're getting like $100 a year interest on a $100,000 account. That is what's called hyperinflation. It doesn't seem like it to us if we're out working and doing okay, but to the fixed income guy that saved up all that money 20 years ago, he can't earn any money with his money in the bank. So he's going to have to actually spend the money that he saved in order to live. So that's that's like hyperinflation. The cryptocurrencies could be a very good vehicle for making some profits, taking some profits, and buying something real with it. And that's sort of what I'm thinking with it. I'm, I started small. It's just kind of fun because I can watch it. And I've been reading about it long enough to where I have felt like I missed out and I know I did on the recent run up of bitcoin. I think it was down around 3000 just a couple months ago and it's up to it was up to 8000 a day or two ago. It already dropped 800 dollars just in the last day, but in a fake mark in fake markets like this, 1% is not that much. And well that's actually 10%. I shouldn't say that. So these things do swing up and down pretty wildly. They go up 10%, they go down 10%. It's not for the faint of heart, but if you take, instead of gambling money, instead of going to the casino and playing a slot machine, maybe you should take that $100 and start buying a few cryptocurrencies because it's kind of like gambling, except if you look at a chart, it's a lot better odds than the slot machine right now because it's going up and kind of straight up on some of these. So I just feel like it's a real good thing to at at least be open to learning a little bit about it, but I can tell you, just from my own experience that this whole thing of going to coinbase is not difficult, and you can start with a low amount of money there 's no minimum of a thousand or anything like that. I started with a very low amount, but it 's fun to watch and i 'm going to start adding to it and If things climb up, I may cash out and buy myself an ounce of gold or something when i get if I can get that much profit, but even a half ounce would be nice. The other thing is, I was thinking today while thinking about these fake markets when I was planning on this show today, if anybody's read the article, not the article, the story called Plato's Cave, it all kind of applies to today. And Plato's Cave is the story of the guys that are in the cave, and all they've ever seen are the shadows on the wall. And later on, they they realized that outside is like a real world with people moving around and that the shadows were just byproducts of those real people on the outside, but they weren't that happy to go outside. And so Plato's Cave is just saying that everybody gets used to the way things are and they think they need to stay that way. I'm sort of like that. I'm kind of a Luddite or a stick in the mud when it comes to this cryptocurrency because it took me this long to even just... Dabble a little and start. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't keep going up. Nobody is going to have more faith. I don't see anybody having more faith in the U.S. than they used to. The whole Trump election was a big deal where everybody all of a sudden felt like, hey, this is really going to be a big change. But in my opinion, to be honest, it's looking a little bit like more of the same. I like some of the things he does. But his war, his warmongering, his adding to Afghanistan, I just, I completely disagree with so much of those things that I'm basically a disappointed Trump person. And like I've told you before, I don't vote. So, you know, if people say, well, if you don't vote, you can't complain, Yeah, I can still complain because I've been voting my whole life and I see no progress. So hopefully this whole Trump thing will end up being a little better but I personally feel like it's just more of the same under a different, different name. This tax plan that I talked about last time, it's not really a major overhaul. It's just adjusting some rates. It takes away some deductions. It adds some standard deductions. It's, does, it's good to lower corporate tax. I believe uh, corporation tax rates should be lower. But it's not an overhaul. The only overhaul I've experienced in my life was in 1986 when they actually changed the rules. And overall, I think it is kind of fair the way they changed them. But that really is the only major change in the tax laws that I've seen. And I've been doing taxes since I graduated from Chico State in 1980. So this, this tax plan is not really an overhaul. I don't even think it's a big deal. We'll see if they end up getting some through. Remember, I pointed out on the last show, it actually did lower a family earning $110,000 of wages, a two-person family, husband and wife. It lowered their tax by $4,200. So I was kind of impressed with that. But there's so many things going on. KXX, Paradise,
1: K280GL, Chico,
0: and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville.
1: Rock House Dining and Espresso is known for their patio. Enjoy the ducks and chickens visiting the patio in their environmental, farm-fresh, lively atmosphere. Rock House is an iconic landmark in Butte County since the 1930s. Seven minutes north of the Lime Saddle Bridge, only two miles past the hardware store, Originally built in 1937, the two buildings served as restaurant and tavern, shower house, barber shop, gas station, and cafe. The coffee shop is a cozy hangout spot, great for coffee and conversation, and working as both functioning dining and a fun look back at our rich Butte County history. Visit the patio and enjoy. Rock House serves burgers, pizza, coffee, and smoothies. Enjoy music and great ambiance, conversations, and service. Don't forget the awesome iced coffee. And the fruit smoothies are only $4.25, or order a large for just 70 cents more on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. Come gather around people wherever you roam. And admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept
2: it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone the times the Hello, Irish. welcome back. This is Eric, your host of Unfiltered Air. Uh, nice, uh, nice weekend uh, up here in Northern California. I got to do a little work outside, and now I'm working on my log splitter. I have a, a little gasoline motor on that thing, and it, it it kind of froze up. I didn't use it for a long time, and it froze up. Got it loosened up. I still can't get it to start. <laughs> it's uh, I'm gonna buy. I, I actually already bought a new carburetor for it. You know, the thing was only like eleven dollars for this carburetor for this Honda motor. I couldn't believe it. I was I was getting ready to buy an overhaul kit and do all this work on the carburetor, trying to clean it. And when I went out there to look, I could buy a brand new carburetor for eleven bucks. So that's on its way. I suspect my log splitter is going to be back in shape here real soon. I, uh, you know, I live out way out in the sticks, so I I use wood heat quite. You know, that's the main heat for the house, and uh, it works great. I bought this. I bought this wood stove. Uh, It's a, you know, it's not a. It's a sheet metal actually. It's steel. It's thick steel. Uh, The old ones are cast iron. Those are great too. But this is a steel stove. Actually, has a surface on the top of it that you can cook on if you want. I used to do this at another home. I had a, I had a similar stove, and I would actually. This was in Georgia. I used to put a big pot of peanuts on it, boiled peanuts. If you've never had boiled peanuts, you got to try them because they're fantastic. You put some maple syrup in there and some red pepper and some. Man, it's so good! A little, just a little dash of it.